and gentlemen it is another episode of the slasher sanitarium and of course we're brought to you by the questionable endeavor network visit questandnetwork.com for more information email the show the slasher sanitarium at gmail.com follow us on twitter at slasher podcast or like our facebook page go to patreon.com slash slasher podcast to support and keep the slasher sanitarium alive or don't and let it die if you want to sponsor such sanitarium, please head over to advertisecast.com slash 824. Visit our website slashersanitarium.weebly.com. Now today, I'm talking about the Cloverfield Paradox. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the ARG stuff um, or even even a lot of the connections with the other two films in because it's not really a series, remember? This is... Um, I mean, I, I guess at this point it kind of is all connected, but it's more of a shared universe kind of thing. Um, but, you know, that's that's the way we're doing things. So, uh, needless to say, it can get really confusing once you get into all the ARG stuff if you haven't done all that. Uh, those people who don't know, ARG is alternate reality game. Uh, it's, it's all of the extra shit that they put into these movies outside of it. You can watch the movies without following all that stuff, but... To really kind of grasp all the little things and and, and the complete storyline of what you're watching, you have to kind of do that. So I'll do what I can to fill in, but go ahead and watch all the fucking YouTube videos you want on it if you need more. So we're going to start off here. The movie starts off with a voiceover saying that the Earth's energy resources will be exhausted in five years. And no, this is not a current movie. This movie takes place in uh, 2028. A space station was completed that has the Shepard Particle Accelerator on it, which will solve the Earth's energy problems. Uh, We then see a woman who gets in a car that is stopped in a giant line. Uh, They are all trying to get to a gas station, which is selling gas for $30 a gallon. Uh, The woman's husband asks if she will take the mission to hop onto the spacecraft. The woman understands that the mission could save everybody, and man says that they will survive if she goes, but if she doesn't, no one will. It's pretty dark, buddy. It's also another one of those cases where, like, to, to be like, oh, she's the only person for the job. She has to go. No, there's probably other people and probably other people that are just as qualified and will do just the same good job that she's going to do or bad job. Who knows? But that's a lot to put on a person to be like, you need to go because otherwise everyone will die. Well, that makes it so that if she doesn't go and the person who takes your place fucks up, then she's going to blame herself. And, you know, that's going to be pretty shitty. So. Wait, I just lay it on thick there, asshole. Uh, We see that a giant flash happens on the Earth's surface, and we are now aboard the space station. We hear the launch countdown for the activation of the Shepard, 
and see our woman from the car on board. It's day 16 of the mission, which is apparently launch day for the Shepard Particle Accelerator. The Particle Accelerator then overheats and fails, and everything shuts down. Commander Keel announces that firing has failed. Some dramatic credits are played, and by dramatic credits I mean like they, they like bang a giant fucking drum every time a person's name shows up on screen. We then see that this is going to be a montage start to the movie as it's day 96, and they have attempted again to get the Shepard to launch, but it keeps getting, getting fucked up. We keep getting cuts to show the crew hard at work, including a terrarium full of worms. It's day 496, and when we are still hard at work, but it's just failure after failure. Day 623, and I guess it's not going to be a few months, like her husband said it was going to be. Our main woman then wakes up at a cold sweat, and we see her name is Hamilton from her jacket. She calls Michael, her boyfriend, from the car. Uh, Michael says that he is working. Uh, he's apparently a doctor. Michael says he's getting sick of only seeing her on screen, and that the world is pretty fucked up. So again, no pressure. I mean, this leaves him about uh, three and a half years left before all of the energy in the world is gone. Somehow, all of the energy in the world is gone. Hamilton says they only have enough fuel for three more firings. Things are pretty dire at this point, and Michael says he is hopeful. Suddenly, this signal is lost on her call. She then loads a video showing Michael with two kids, and my guess is they dead. So, a little bit of just, uh, you know, introducing us to the main character of this, um, and kind of showing again that somehow, despite the fact that it's been over a year, uh, these two are still going strong with each other in this incredibly, incredibly long-distance relationship. Uh, so... You know, it's a movie. We'll do what it is. Uh, we then see the crew playing games and a 3D printer being used to create a donut. Now, the the fact that this 3D printer is clearly shown makes you be like, this is Chekhov's gun. This is totally going to come into play later on. A Russian dude says that he has kept the ship intact for 363 days, and only one thing is not working, and that's the Shepard. Volkov, who was our Russian dude, um, continues to kind of put everything on a German guy, who we will find out is Schmidt. Uh, Volkov says Germany is going to war and the Russians are starving, and it appears as though Germany is trying to take out Russia. So, of course, the Russian guy would be upset at the German guy. Uh, then he accuses the German guy of sabotage. A little fight ensues, and the uh, everything gets broken up, and we find out that the 47th test of the Shepherd is about to occur. Schmidt, the German guy from before, says things are ready. We also have the rest of the crew, which is Monday, who is apparently the uh, ship's mechanic. Acosta, who is the uh, doctor. And Tam, who is uh, somebody. We'll find out later. <laughs> uh, but we haven't yet to really meet any of them, just kind of seeing them here and kind of popping in here. Uh, we see that Monk Acosta is watching a news report where Mark Stambler who shares the last name as John Goodman's character from 10 Cloverfield Lane, there's another one, is talking to uh, talking about the Shepherd being too risky. Uh, he's, of course, talking to a uh, newscaster who is the crazy lady that shows up in 10 Cloverfield Lane asking to be let in. Mark is played by Donald Luke, who I adore, who I, but I can never say his name, and he says the Cloverdox paradox, the Cloverfield paradox is real. I know it is. I'm watching it. Commander Keel institutes the protocol. Uh, Mark says that every time they test the Shepard, they risk ripping apart space and time, opening doors to other dimensions, shattering reality. Ladies and gentlemen, there's your movie. Mark says the experiment could bring about monsters, demons, or creatures from the sea. Hint, hint, wink, wink. 
you know, like the last two movies. Well, at least we get an explanation for where the creatures come from. Yeah. Monk turns off the program. So this whole thing, uh, if you haven't caught it by now, you know, uh, kind of explains what is going on in Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane. So the events of this movie have ripples throughout the out time in bringing about the creature from Cloverfield, bringing about the uh, little worm monsters from 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, as well as kind of setting up for future endeavors in the series. Volkov says the station is ready, but they should probably check on Schmid because he's a dick. Monday has Monk pray for their success. It's, you know, I mean, it's not going to work, but at least, you know, whatever. We get the power-up sequence and a countdown. Shepherd then, the shepherd then cranks up. A slushal bobblehead is seen jamming out. The particle beam appears to be stable. They finally have positive energy flow. It's a complete success. I guess we can go home. Oh, wait, no. The beam suddenly cuts out and it overloads. Every window on the bridge then blows out. Gravity reverses and everyone hits the ceiling before hitting the floor. Once they get their bearings, they all run off bridge because the ship is on fire. Uh, we see a strange kind of sequence here where uh, one set of crew members can't get one of the doors open, but Schmidt is able to get the ventilation open to kill the fire. Volkov says that a bunch of stuff is fried and leaking, um, and then Hamilton looks distressed. She's looking down on a monitor and she says, it isn't there. Ah, the pronoun game, so that somebody can ask, what do you mean it isn't there? What isn't there? And she responds, the earth. She can't find the earth. Monday reasons that the entire earth is not gone, but after a scan of all the cameras, they are no longer near earth. Volkov says that Schmidt's shepherd threw them out into space. Well, at least we know why Volkov doesn't like Schmidt. Because apparently, Schmidt is the guy who designed the shepherd. Um, so that would explain what he's doing on the ship. Hamilton runs off. Keel and Tam do as well. They all see that Earth is really not there. They are fuck knows where at this point. Uh, I would say it's empty space, but then we see that in the distance there's something out there, which appears to be the sun, so not empty space. So there's a, a weird cut here where, just a little bit ago, Volkov said that, oh, you know, they, they got thrown off into space, but now he believes that the Earth was destroyed instead of them just being kind of thrown into a different part of space. But Schmidt correctly states that there is no debris, um, but they all seem to kind of come to the conclusion that, oh, we blew up Earth, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Because, like you said, one, there's no debris. They would definitely be fucking debris because you can't blow up a planet without there being, you know, remnants of it out there. But also just to be like, all right, yeah, I guess we blew it up. Keel is off crying it out before he collects himself. He walks into a room where everyone is shell-shocked. Keel says that they need to fix the space station despite not having the equipment to do so. I don't know how they're going to do that. And Monk says that they, have, they may have just killed billions of people, to which Schmidt replies that they didn't destroy the Earth, they just lost it. So, Mundy, he's got a lot of, a lot of lines here. He's the, comedic, the comic relief in this movie. Um... I'm not, I'm not going to just keep repeating his lines. Although he does have some really good ones here. Um, but we'll just kind of keep moving on. Kiel says that Monday and Schmidt need to work on this on the O2. Monk and Tam need to fix the power leaks. And Hamilton and Volkov need to check the circuits. We see that Volkov starts to rub his eye here, which is going to be a growing theme with him in just a second. 
uh, Hamilton opens up the, where the gyrosphere should be, and she says, well, here's your problem. So, of course, again, playing the fucking pronoun game, Volkov comes over and she says that the gyro is not there. So the, this is Hamilton so far. This is what her role is on the thing, is to like not just come out and say, open up the drawer and say the gyroscope is gone, but to open the drawer and be like, here's your problem. What's the problem? It's gone. You know, like, come on, just fucking come out and say it. Why do you have to, why do you have to play those games like that? Volkov keeps rubbing his face. Uh, he asks if his eye looks okay. And suddenly we hear a loud screaming noise. Hamilton Volkov run to investigate. The screeching keeps happening as Mundy and Schmidt also go to investigate. And we see Monk and Keel are also out searching. Schmidt and Mundy find a hallway and see Tam just standing in the doorway. They run up to see that she is listening to a wall panel. She slowly puts her face up to the wall. Angus jumps scared by another scream. Everyone is able to convene in the same area as another scream rings out. After a little debate, they open up the wall panel to find that there is a person inside of it. And they are screaming. Uh, she also has a bunch of power lines going through her skin, so she has apparently fused with the fucking power cords in this thing. They start to cut her out of the wall. Um, she says she keeps saying, help me, and then she says, help me, Hamilton. Which kind of hits her home that, hey, uh, this crazy bitch that just showed up in her walls just said my name. But they're able to get her out of there and into the med bay. As they cut away the clothes, they see that more lines are running through her body, and they inject her with a sedative. Cut back over as Michael awakens on Earth to sounds of what appears to be bombs going off. He starts to read messages on his phone to see that people are trapped in buildings and dying. The news says that this is not a nuclear bomb or even terrorist activities. Someone tells Michael what caused it, and he can't believe it. So, I... Look... Spoiler alert, I, I enjoyed this movie, but everything that's going to take place with Michael on Earth completely undercuts the last scene of the movie, because I would have rather we stayed completely on the Cloverfield space station and not have any of this stuff going on on Earth, because it doesn't really make a difference. Uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, so clearly we know that there's not bombs going off that there's fucking creatures outside destroying everything around there. That's what's going on with Michael over there. But we've got to parse out little snippets and pretend that when we see it at the end that it's this big deal, but they give us far too much for us to not be like, we know what the fuck's going on. So I would have just done without that stuff altogether just because of the fact that, like I said, it just weakens your ending. It, would, it We'll get to the end and I'll kind of sum up my, my feelings again and again at that point. Back on the Cloverfield and the crew are arguing. Volkov says that if the Earth is gone, the ship is fucked. Women are appearing in walls. We're not in Kentucky anymore. To which Money responds, replies, Kansas. Volkov tells him who gives a shit. Money says people who live in Kansas. We see Monk is tending to the mystery woman. And Schmidt says that since Shepard did this to them, it can undo that. Or it could make it worse, moron. You don't know what the fuck it's like. You didn't know what was going to happen this time. If you do it again, maybe you get sent into a fucking third dimension. Who knows? Uh, but they use some sci-fi magic to quickly heal up all lady. We see the... Uh, oh, my notes say bocce ball. It's not bocce ball. What is that? A foosball. We see the foosball table and the players start to rapidly spin. Cut over and Monday says that the worms are missing. Um, there is entire there is an entire conversation that I missed because my copy of this movie does not sub subtitle Tam or anyone else when I speak Chinese, so I hope it wasn't important. 
Volkov is checking himself in the mirror, again feeling his face. His eye suddenly veers to the left. That's fucking gross. It slowly moves back into place. Uh, then he seems to have a conversation with his reflection, which... I don't know. Volkov does a security override on the 3D printer and creates a gun. Hey, look at that. I called it. Um, as if as if it wasn't apparent already, and I, I'm hoping that you probably watch this movie be, before you listen to this, because otherwise I'm just going to spoil things for you. If you're a fan of my, of my show, you know I spoil everything. So talk about the entire movie. So... We're we're in another dimension here, and the ship is having some kind of paradoxical elements to it because it's two different dimensions kind of clashing with each other. Does Volkov have a conversation with his other dimension self here in the reflection? I don't understand it because he kind of he like says what like he hears something, and like gets really close to the mirror and and asks what again, and then he says, "Yeah, I know." He has this conversation with where you can't hear the other side of it. So I don't know if he's like hearing something from the other side or what. And we're going to have another thing coming up here in a second. That doesn't make a lot of fucking sense either. But we'll we'll get there. So that that whole weird thing was just kind of took me. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, we see that Monday is patching up the wall that they opened up. And then Tam calls Schmidt over as Volkov enters. He pulls his gun on Schmidt. But before he can can kill him... He starts to cough and throw up white shit before he collapses on the ground and has a seizure. So they grab him and bring him down to the med bay. Tam locks the gun away in, in the wall safe as Volkov coughs up blood. Volkov then pukes up all the fucking worms. And he's dead. So, Monday of course with the, well now we know where the worms went. Hamilton sees a picture of the crew has changed and now our wall lady is up there. She wakes up. Hamilton enters the sick bay, and the woman asks how she is is on the station. The woman was searching for Monday, Kiel, and Volkov, but she does not know Tam. The woman says she is Mina Jensen, the shepherd engineer. Hamilton is supposed to be on Earth as their civilian contact. Jensen says not to trust Schmidt. Schmidt sabotages the shepherd. So, yeah. Kiel then begins to look into Schmidt and then goes to er, con- goes to confront him. He punches Schmidt in the face, and Kiel says that he saw Germany reached out to Schmidt to keep the Shepherd offline until Russia was destroyed. So, here we're going to take a pause. Now, we get a lot of information here. I'm not sure why these people that are so smart um, instantly just think that like everything should be taken at face value here. Because you've got a person who was not on your ship who showed up in the fucking wall, say that one of your people that you've spent a year and a half with, more so because it's clearly, you know, probably longer than that, and you're just going to take their words for it. Now, yes, you looked at his comm logs, but you're like, okay, well, we just saw a guy fucking puke up a bunch of worms that he clearly did not digest or ingest, but we're just going to believe that the comm logs are fine. Like, you know, ship went through some catastrophic shit, but those com blocks gotta be this good. So, also because we'll get to it later, uh, everyone seems to understand the idea of this Cloverfield paradox and the the chance that the shepherd might send them into another dimension. Like it's clearly stated by Donald Log. It's clearly said by Michael later in the film that everyone just kind of is like, oh, they could potentially go to another dimension. So they've done that. And everyone in the crew was just like, no, we didn't. 
No, that's not a real thing. It does. It's just inconsistent. All right. Cut back to Earth, and Michael is driving to the hospital, and he finds out that the that the Cloverfield is gone. Michael sees something in the distance that causes him to stop his car. He comes out, and it's mass destruction in front of him. And then the Cloverfield monster walks past. He hears someone screaming for help, and we see a young girl scream in pain as we cut back over to the ship. Now, before we cut back to the ship, again, like I said, uh, another scene with Michael here, and uh, the the reveal at the end of this, and like I said, we'll get there, just see, feels so patronizing that, like, clearly everyone who's watching this has seen Cloverfield. So the fact that, like, we see a giant dark shape in the background walk past and the whole fucking, you know, town is destroyed. How, why do we not assume that there's fucking creatures destroying the world? So the fact that they're, like, the movie kind of presented as, like, oh, you didn't know there was creatures. Like, of course we did. We've been watching the whole time. Back over the ship and Monday is fixing the walls. And then suddenly, the wall grabs his arm. Uh, It then pulls him back and forth and back and forth before he falls backwards and he is now missing his arm but there is no blood he just doesn't have an arm anymore uh, he also has no feeling whatsoever that he just lost his arm they bring him to monk and monk says that it was like he was born without an arm and monday asks if there is a chance it will grow back um so th- this is pretty fucking cool it's a it's a nice way to do it um i'm going to have some questions so we'll work up to it uh, the door opens on Schmidt's makeshift shell cell, and Schmidt can hear something off in the distance. Schmidt calls for the whole crew to get there, and we see that Monday's arm is pulling itself down the hallway. Monday comes out and says, That's my fucking arm. And they trap it under a box. Schmidt says that this is the paradox. Two realities in the same space. So finally, somebody admits that they were not in the same fucking place. Um, but Schmidt kind of uses it as like, a, it's not my comm logs, I'm not, not guilty. Monday's arm is trying to write something. Monday then passes a, a, a pen. The arm writes, cut Volkov open. Monday asks his arm what he's talking about. So here's, here is my big question here. Because I thought they were going with one way on this. I thought once, once Monk says it was like he was born with an arm, that they were going to do it, that the Monday in, we'll call it Earth 2, didn't have an arm and this was like the world's way of kind of addressing that but then to just have then the arm kind of wandering around which was fine it made for a really cool fucking visual um but then why does the arm know to cut volkov open like we got to remember that none of the shit that we're watching happened on the cloverfield station from this world the cloverfield station from this world got blown out of the sky as soon as the cloverfield station from the original world came into existence in this one. So that's, that's where we're getting kind of like a, uh, an odd thing there where, uh, you know, Volkov have a kind of a conversation with somebody that might be another world of a version of him, uh, which would explain why he would go after Schmidt because the other world version of him would know that Schmidt is a traitor and would want him to do something about it. That's fine. But how the fuck does Monday's arm, from this world, no to cut Volkov open. I don't know. There's no fucking answers to it. All right, so back at it. 
Uh, they pick up a transmission that says that the Cloverfield Space Station was destroyed and fell into the ocean. Schmidt explains that they're in another dimension. Uh, this one where Schmidt is a traitor, Jensen replaces Tam in the station, Hamilton stays home, and the space station is destroyed, most likely thanks to Schmidt. Uh, Schmidt says that the, they need to use a shepherd to bring them back home, as returning to Earth, their Earth, this Earth would not be their Earth. Monday and Monk go, want to go to Earth 2, while Tam and Schmidt want to head back home. Monday and Monk are dead in this reality, Tam and Hamilton are not. So, um... So here's the, oh, Jesus Christ. I missed the fucking cut open scene. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so Monk can't cut Volkov open. Tam cuts him open. They find the missing gyroscope in there. How did it get in there? I don't know, but they chuck it back into place. So that's when they finally find earth. It's behind the sun. Cause they're upside down They're They've on the other side of the sun now from where the earth is, um, which doesn't make sense, but whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter at this point. So yeah. So Sorry, I missed that little part, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so then that's when they have this conversation where Monday and Monk, it you know, it makes sense. So they both are dead in this in this dimension. So them returning to Earth is fine. They could probably pick up their lives if their lives are anywhere the same. Uh, Tam obviously is not. She has another counterpart to herself on Earth, as does Hamilton. Um, Schmidt. Makes sense because you know, like I said, he he wants to go back home because he understands that they don't belong here. There's probably too much fucking, you know, alterations to things. We've already seen a little bit here and there, um, but there's also the fact that once they hear this transmission, there's a lot of worse shit going on, like China bombing people and shit like that. So clearly, doesn't want to go into that shit. So yeah, but they they kind of settle on it that they have to get back. Uh, we cut over to Earth, and Mike is having a conversation with Molly, the girl he saved. She says that her uncle is dead, which is a bummer, but whatever. Thankfully, Michael has a box of M&Ms in his glove box so that the movie can bring in a little extra cash. Michael is texting while driving, which is, I don't know. Uh, someone says, holy shit, can you believe this? And he asks if he can use the shelter. Uh, we're still playing the game of, oh, we don't know that Earth is uh, is getting fucked up by giant fucking creatures, but Whatever. Michael and Molly arrive at a fallout shelter. Monk brings food to Jensen. She says that the shepherd smashed the Hicks boson and somehow their dimensions crashed into hers. So even she fucking figured it out. Jensen also says that escaping this dimension traps her in theirs. As soon as Tam enters an airlock, it says that there is an H2O leak. And Schmidt runs a ventilation simulator. They're trying to get their systems back online here. The room starts to fill up with water where Tam is, and she yells for help as the room continues to fill. Hamilton tries to get the door open as Monday arrives. The door leading uh, out into space starts to bulge outward. It breaks open and freezes the entire room, Tam included. Thankfully, you can still see her dead face in the window. So I guess they just won't ever go down that hallway again. Hamilton realized that even though they lost Tam, they still have the woman who got her job in this dimension, so it's not really that big of a loss. Michael gets a hold of someone and asks if it's the Paradox. Even he knows the ship has left this dimension. He says to contact Molly's parents and that she is safe, uh, but then the room goes red and we hear the monster outside. Again, like, just hitting it, hitting it every chance we fucking get. Yes, we know the creature's out there. Like, 
It's it's so fucking weird. Uh, Jensen wants all of Schmidt's work and an escape pod when they get the ship repaired. Uh, Hamilton says that she's not the same person as the one from this world, but Jensen says she is. She just seems a little sadder, but the situation calls for it. Um, Hamilton kind of picks up that that's a weird statement to make, so she asks if Jensen knows her family, and she lists off Hamilton's family, even her two dead kids. Uh, So Jensen also knows nothing of the fire that killed Hamilton's kids because it hasn't happened in this world. So, Earth 2's Hamilton stayed on Earth because she has alive kids. Earth 1's Hamilton came up with a space station because she killed her own kids. Jensen then plays a recording of Hamilton and her still alive kids from this dimension. Munson says that if you turn... Mundy, sorry, Munson, that was weird. Mundy says that if he turns up the oxygen, they can get enough power to run the Shepherd. Hamilton wants to join Jensen back on Earth 2. Hamilton plays the only parents understand card with Keel. Hamilton wants to save the family down there. One problem with that. So let's say you get back down to Earth 2 here. Um, you go up to another version of yourself and say, Hey, um, I want to save your, our kids. I'm going to call them our kids, even though they're your kids. They're not mine. Mine are dead. They're in the ground. And I'm going to tell you, don't, don't fucking install that power cell to try to steal energy because it'll kill all of them. And she says, okay, great. Thanks. Bye, I'll never see you again. Like, you're not going to be a second mother to these kids. You're never going to be able to see them again. Like, if if another, if a fucking carbon copy of me showed up and was like, hey, buddy, um, I'm from another dimension where both of my kids are dead. Um, I'm just going to, like, infiltrate yours at this point. I'm thinking he's going to kill me and take over my life. I'm not thinking that, like, he's here for benevolent reasons and... He'll, he'll just be fine with never seeing his, um, you know, his kids again. The crew goes into action to get everything ready. Uh, they get the action swapped over, and the wall suddenly becomes magnetized. So everything flies over to the wall. Monday is just kind of looking at it, and then the ooze that he keeps putting on the walls to repair him starts coming off as well. But then the ooze becomes sentient and grabs him, pulls him to the wall, and starts entering his body before a CO2 tank hits the wall and blows the entire fucking room up, Monday included. Bye-bye, Monday. Uh, The crew are then pretty distressed over losing three crew members. Uh, They also learn that if the maintenance ring goes over 25 degrees out of sync, that will destroy the entire ship. So they need to uncouple it. Monk, Hamilton, and Keel head out to do the job. So your captain, your doctor, and someone who's kind of expendable. Good call. We get a tense moment montage as the ring is getting closer to 25 degrees. Monk almost flies off into space, but he's saved by Keel. Uh, Jensen is super helpful by giving them the countdown to death. They clear the debris and enter the maintenance area. Uh, Keel is then having issues getting the ring off before he stops. He then locks Monk and Hamilton out of the room, and he figures out the door has to be sealed in order for them to decouple the ring. Well, that's a poor design choice. The only way to get rid of shore death is to, to, for the crew to have someone sacrifice themselves. Did Jigsaw design the Cloverfield? Michael is watching a video of Hamilton. He gets a message that Molly's parents are alive and grateful. Michael records a message for Ava. He wants to have another kid. Because now is a good time to make you know important life choices like that. When 
she is in another dimension and you're being in the earth here is being attacked by giant monsters. They have 43 minutes left before all they run out of oxygen. Uh, they're going to fire the shepherd twice, once to send them back home, and then once to hopefully successfully power up the planet. We then see Jensen looking all sinister as she grabs a gun from a lockbox. Wait a second. How does she know that's there? In their dimension, Volkov never had worms in him. You never made a gun, right? Uh, they got sabotaged by Schmidt, um, or, at you know, like I said, it crashed into the ocean because of this thing entering it. That gun was made before they pulled Jensen out of the wall. So, how does she know that the gun was there? Anyway, she knocks Hamilton out. Then she wanders off. Hamilton is 30 seconds from blasting off at Earth 2 when she sees Jensen heading to kill Schmidt and Monk. Hamilton stops the launch sequence. Jensen's asked for the firing key as she won't allow them to take the shepherd. She shoots and kills Monk. Next, she finds Schmidt. Hamilton arrives to see Monk die, and we hear another gunshot. Schmidt is on the ground, gutshot. Jensen says that they wiped her shepherd out of the sky, and that they cannot rebuild a shepherd in time before the world dies. Schmidt hits Jensen, preventing her from killing Hamilton, but during the struggle for the gun, Jensen shoots Schmidt in the shoulder. He then acts like he's dead. We clearly saw he got shot in the shoulder. Uh, now, here again, it's hard to blame Jensen here. She's just trying to save her own Earth. Uh, you know, she's she's the villain of this movie, but she's not really a bad person. She's trying She's trying to save her entire fucking planet, which, you know, thanks to them jumping over into this dimension, knocked them out of orbit, or, you know, knocked them down, down into the Earth. So, I, I get it. So Jensen starts to monologue, and she brings up the video of Hamilton and her kids. Muddy's arm is still moving around despite its owner being dead, so that's interesting. Hamilton throws shits at Jensen's face, and then straight tosses a tank at her head. She grabs the bar from the foosball table, but misses her. They fight over the gun, and Hamilton shoots out a window, which launches Jensen straight out into space. Now the ship is really fucked. Cut over, and Hamilton removes the two bullets from Schmidt, and she leaves a voiceover message for Earth to Ava Hamilton. She says that she should not steal power or her children will die. She also attaches the shepherd's designs. It's less important. She tells uh, other her to go hug and kiss her children. Hamilton and Schmidt fire up the shepherd. It successfully brings them back home. Hamilton then gets in contact with Huntsville Ground Control. She tells them to send a repair crew. They fire up the shepherd again with Schmidt's alterations and the shepherd creates a stable beam and the energy crisis is over. Uh, but thanks to all the Michael scenes, we know this is not a happy ending. Michael is pissed that they are allowing her to come back to Earth. He says they are coming back with those things, meaning that there are more than one monster. As they come back, we see a giant monster break out of the clouds and scream at the screen as we cut to black. So here, that scene, that fucking scene at the end, where the, when the monster comes out, is supposed to be like, oh my god, but they fucking ruined it. They ruined it by having so many fucking scenes with Michael on Earth and leading up to it. Like, I felt I felt like I was being fucking treated like a three-year-old this entire movie because they kept fucking... Sh- I'm just like, I was like, I fucking know there's monsters. And I know there's monsters because you kept fucking laying it on thick that there's th- fucking monsters everywhere. So, now picture this movie without all those scenes in there. You have this entire fucking thing 
going on in in the in space you're thinking okay well you know it has nothing to do with these other movies we're just we're just watching a new kind of cloverfield in the thing or like that and then at the end they make it back to earth and the fucking and a monster fucking comes out of the sky like that's a better fucking movie because then you're just like oh shit they fucking cause all, all of the monsters and stuff like that you get that at the end instead of fucking like 30 minutes into the movie you're just like well clearly we know that they caused it all so yeah i don't know also i watched a few different youtube videos trying to figure out the connections and the timelines and all the other fucking added shit here and the thought that like when when they made cloverfield originally they had all of these movies planned out spoiler alert they didn't um and every one of them gets caught up on why this final monster is bigger than the cloverfield monster clearly michael just said that said those things plural which means there's more than one also not to mention it's fucking 30 years since the new york attack which means one of the monsters got sent back in time or or this monster is the original cloverfield monster and just grew up why are you getting caught up with that shit Ugh. also this thing looks fucking different than cloverfield monster because it's, it's not the same thing like the whole point of it was to be like this isn't that monster this is the monster that's terrorizing michael and the other chick and stuff like that this is to show that the earth is fucked no matter what uh the fact that you know donna log talked about that this was going to cause ripples throughout space-time is how the fucking Cloverfield monster gets put into the bottom of the sea. Uh, apparently it's how aliens show up in the second one, but I guess we'll have to wait for a fourth fucking movie to figure out all of that shit. Um, but I think it's to say, like I said, my, my biggest gripe was just the, the completely taking all the fucking sting out of the ending of it because you knew that was going to happen. You even had Michael being like, you can't can't send her back and shit like that. And you're just like, well, clearly they're going to just show a fucking monster or they're going to land there and get eaten. Like, that's just a, a dumb fucking ending. And, and like I said, it's it's not a twist if you fucking tell you tell the twist 30 minutes into the movie. So, um, but otherwise, I mean, like I said, you're, you're dealing with a lot of like sci-fi shit. So you do have to kind of like not think about reality stuff the the fact that monday's arm knows about where the gyroscope is makes no fucking sense um you know like i said volkov's little thing made sense but they didn't follow up on it because i thought that they were going to do more of that um monday like i thought it just seemed like there was going to be a lot more in the whole like distortion things like that because i really like those those aspects of it you know having a woman from another dimension show up in the wall that's fucking cool but and they just really didn't do much with it because, like I said, there was there was a lot more ground that could have been covered with that on like some of the different like paradoxal dis- distortions and shit like that. That shit's fucking cool to me, but um, they didn't really use it as as much as I thought they would. Um, and the whole thing was just it seemed like they had that one idea for the end scene and just kind of built the movie around that, where they're like, we're gonna explain without really explaining shit. Uh, and we're also going to set up for another fucking movie because that's clearly going to happen. Um, it's it's still a, a good movie. Um, obviously, like I, f- I felt that Cloverfield was a better movie. Um, it's hard to say between this and Ten Cloverfield Lane because Ten Cloverfield Lane was, to me, kind of to, to me did a better job of what this movie should have done, where you you lead up to the big reveal at the end. Um, like I said, I like 
the whole Michael and Molly stuff, unless they're going to make a direct sequel to this and those two are going to show up again, doesn't really make that much fucking sense either because if those two never show up again, like, what was all that for? Just to show Michael was a good guy? Like, no, I don't need to fucking know that. The fact that he stuck around with his wife for 600 days shows he was a good guy. I don't need to have him follow through and, and keep, you know, showing us that the world's getting fucked up by, by monsters because of this particle beam accelerator. So, yeah, they really need to do, you know, a second, fourth, whatever you want to call it, movie to this where Michael and Molly are trying to find Hamilton and Schmidt. Otherwise, the whole thing is just kind of meaningless. It's It's like I said... There needs to be a reason why they felt they needed to spoil the ending of it by having these scenes intercut throughout the thing. I don't know if it was just that they wanted to have breaks in the action, but you can do that in a different way. So, like I said, all in all, I mean, it was a movie. It was what it was. Um, I think that uh, you definitely need to watch it. And like I said, search search out some of the different videos on YouTube about the connections to all these movies because there's people who've done a lot more work than I will ever fucking want to do on trying to figure out all the different connections and shit like that to it. Um, but with that, we'll go ahead and close her down uh, and say that, uh, you know, head to questionnetwork.com for more information on all of our different shows that we've got and stay tuned for the Slash Sanitarium as we bring you more spoopy stuff. Shock your soul.